Welcome to the Road to Zero, a future-proof podcast, as we explore the changing nature of our economy as we look for prosperity and opportunity in not only preserving, but also improving our environment. Today on the Road to Zero, we're talking to Lindsay Boyle, founder of Circular Citizen, based in Victoria. Hello, Lindsay, and we're happy to have you with us. Hi, Nick. Great to be here. Now, can you tell us, we'll we'll talk about some of the work you're doing, but I'd love to hear how you got, because you had quite a background before you got into the circular economy and sustainability. So tell us how how that came about. I'd love to. My background is in business, and I was drawn to the creative side of business in strategic marketing and branding in my early career, particularly in uh, big food companies. And then from there, I realized the part of the business that I really loved the most was the market research part of it. So understanding what people's needs were and how could the companies that I was working for best meet those needs with new products or advertising or other ways to engage their target markets. And so most of my career, I've, I've been a strategist. So doing research, understanding people, but really my core role is what do you do with that insight about people that will help the company, that will help them communicate or, or, um, or innovate to really meet people's needs? So that's my background. And why I got into the circular economy is really simple. Um, the things I care most about are people's well-being and regenerating nature. And I was on a, you know, a path in my career where I was doing really interesting work, but I be- became uncomfortably aware that what I was doing, um, working with big companies, was actually part of the problem uh, in terms of climate change and biodiversity loss. So yeah, it was like Al Gore's movie title. (laughs) It was a, you know, it was a pretty inconvenient truth. But um, around October 2018, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel released their report. um, And I remember being on a bus in Vancouver and reading a, an article in the Guardian that was reporting on it. And there was an image of a wildfire um, in the article. And it was the, you know, the now famous title, which was, we have 12 years to avoid a climate catastrophe. And so I, you know, it was really at that point where I just couldn't continue to do the work that I was doing, um, both, you know, which was promoting a lot of consumption in people. Um, you know, I, I worked on, you know, the research to inform launches of new mobile phones, um, for example. And, you know, I was part of driving a lot of very, very consumptive behavior. And so there was that, but I was also leaving, leading a very, um, unfriendly, um, climate unfriendly lifestyle. Yeah. I was flying around 
um, doing really interesting work. Like I loved my work, but the impact of my work, mm. I could no longer deny. Um, you know, I could no longer say like, I'm not contributing to this clear and present danger. And um, yeah, and I'm a, I'm a parent. I have two kids and um, I, uh, they're, they're old enough to ask me questions and tell me that they're scared of climate change. And so, you mm. know, it was, it was at that time when I really started thinking about, I've got to do something differently. And I, I want to be part of a solution, but I didn't know what that solution was at that time. Yeah. And yeah, and I can really relate because I've got some some younger kids as well, and especially that, that teenage years in school, and I, I was shocked at how, um, yeah, like not not devastated, but really like like not positive that generation is. Like they're really much a like it's a mess, and and it's just going to get worse. So there's a really a lack of of hope there. So I, I can see how those conversations really have an impact. It really has an impact, and I'm so glad that you used the word hope because hope is a real theme for me, I'm, I'm naturally an optimist. So if you ask anyone that knows me, um, you know, ever since I was a child, I, I just like to look for the bright side, I look for the, the opportunity. And so that's really what I, the feeling that I got when I started to learn about the circular economy was hope. Um, and it wasn't just sort mm -hmm. of like an idealist hope, like everything's going to be okay, but it was a sense that understanding the circular economy was that it was the best plan that we have. Um, you know, the, and I'm a strategist, so I, I love a good plan and a good framework. And so the simplicity of the circular economy, you know, it's really three principles, you know, design out waste and pollution and, and unsafe materials for people, um, keep materials and products in use at their highest value and regenerate natural systems. And so that framework um, really connected to the things I care about most, which I told you earlier, I, you know, people's well-being and, and regenerating nature but because it was also linked to economic benefit, um, I, the business person in me also really recognized that that is really crucial in order to bring everybody along, like in order to help people see the future and see the, the, the reality of transitioning from our current way of doing things to this future kind of circular economy that we're wanting to imagine if there's not an economic benefit i i just also feel like it's it's just not realistic like i i've worked with so many businesses mm -hmm. i have a business background there has to be an an economic motivator as well um and i saw that in the circular economy so it was like good for people regenerates nature which is at a precipice and 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 so vulnerable and and 
guess what? You can actually outperform uh, from a business stamp standpoint than than where you are uh, in, in the linear model. So the optimist in me, mm. it was it it was all I wanted to talk about. Um, it really just seemed like the very best plan that we had. I have still not heard of a better plan than the circular economy to, to, uh, to address so many yeah. of the challenges. And, and just to get an idea, because I really hear that, that aspect of the model can offer even better returns or better economics. And can, can you give us a couple of good examples that you've seen of where, where that transformation in a company's business model really gave them something for their bottom line? Well, I think the, the best uh, data that I've seen recently is actually aggregate data um, put out by the management consulting firm Kearney. And they did a study of, of about 150 businesses that they, they describe as circular leaders. So that's businesses that have integrated circularity at the heart of their business. So not just from a CSR standpoint or like a kind of a sustainability standpoint or to improve their image cosmetically, but actually embedding it in, in the core kind of um, operations of the business. Those businesses that are leading and doing that, regardless of size, big or small, there there's kind of proven results that those leaders are outperforming their rivals. And so they're showing things like, you know, much greater likelihood to be able to increase revenue, much greater likelihood to decrease cost, much. And this is where it's surprising to me is like someone mm -hmm. who's looking at marketing and, and, and how to kind of engage your customers. There's also a significant increase for those circular, circular leaders in brand reputation and um, or brand recognition, sorry, as well as brand loyalty. And so, you know, these are leaders like Ikea, um, you know, like um, Patagonia, like the North Face or uh, the VF uh, corporate, uh, it's the VF corporation has a whole suite of brands, many of them you would have heard of, but the North Face, Vans, um, Timberland, you know, these are big companies that are leading, but also many smaller companies that have started out circular, like the Queen of Raw, uh, which is a platform for selling um, wasted textiles and, um, you know, or uh, Chop Value, who you, uh, you spoke to Felix Bach on your, on your podcast, I believe. So they make um, furniture, beautiful furniture out of chopsticks. So it's now we're at the point where it's not just sort of looking at one company in isolation and saying like, Oh, they're, you know, they're really making kind of new revenue streams or they're improving their bottom line. It's enough that Kearney could measure this, you know, quantifiably this set of, of companies and said, you know, across industry, across size of company, um, you know, the, these are very important tangible metrics for big companies and so uh yeah i really love the uh the universalness of it because i really hear how it's like now just like one particular sector it's like just companies that go on in this re redesigning the system 
have these superior results. And of course it makes sense, right? Because they're usually using less materials, reusing their material, you know, waste costs money, you know, and with brand loyalty, if you've got a product, they got to keep coming to you. I mean, of course you're going to build a, a strong brand loyalty. So it's really, uh, in some ways you can see a lot of no brainer aspects of business inside the circular economy model. Yeah. And, and I'd love to just tell you a little bit more about kind of what the next step after I got interested uh, in, in the circular economy and kind of felt committed to it. Um, I started learning about it myself, um, but I also was able to somehow invite myself uh, to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's C100 member workshop. And the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is the leading think tank um, on the circular economy. And they're really creating uh, many resources for people to learn about it. But they're also really facilitating um, partnerships between big companies, um, which is collaboration is really essential because the circular economy is innovating systems. You know, it's not just innovating within your own company. We really need to be innovating entire systems. And so it requires quite a big effort towards getting companies to collaborate and share ideas with each other. And so that's what this, this big meeting um, at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation puts on. And there, there are C100 member uh, members pay a fee to, to come to these big conferences um, and uh, and benefit from thought leadership and learning from other companies that are leading. Um, but they also allow some kind of entrepreneurs, startups to come. And that's how I was able to, to come in. And so I'll, I'll just tell a story about going to this incredible meeting at Nike and going into a session on circular design. So uh, the people on the stage are, um, you know, the lead sustainable, you know, the lead circular designer um, at Nike and uh, Lauren Yarmouth, who is, was a circular design consultant at IDEO that specialized in food. And then there was two other people I can't remember. And so I'm I'm sitting in the audience and and you know listening to you know um, uh, the the designer from Nike his first name is Noah I'm I can't remember his second name it's a hyphenated name um, he said you know we're we're now finding that people our our customers are more interested in having in knowing that their shoes have a second life than we are in than they are in getting any kind of financial incentive to return them so he was saying the priority for people is in knowing that their shoes are not going to waste and that's more important to them than getting $5 off your next pair of shoes at that time that was in 2019 they were starting to see the opportunity to create a, a refurbished line of shoes, which they've just announced this week. And so they've created the systems to create a reverse logistics program so that they can collect these shoes that people are done with, clean them, you know, fix them where needed, make them look like new, and then resell them as Nike refurbished at a discount. 
to the to the customer. And so, you know, that way of thinking and listening to someone at Nike share their what the vision of you know, you know, that opportunity for for Nike was so inspiring. And, you know, just just really goes to show you that you can, you know, see the problems with the current supply chain and, you know, the way the economy is working and say, you know, here's a here's an opportunity where we can make use of that waste and provide a new revenue stream for the company and provide the customers who are open to second life shoes to to buy them at a discount. So they're not paying full price and it's not for everybody. Some people would really shy away from that, but increasingly there is demand for those second life products. And so, yeah, so that was a really pivotal moment for me in terms of, again, finding the optimism in that room with many other people that are using their imaginations, really imaginative people thinking, how do we overcome these problems and turn them into opportunities? Yeah, and that's such a great example because I mean, I mean, thrift shopping is so big, but to to bring it back to the actual manufacturer and and bring in an even better product is such a better way to do it in the system. And, and I know you've done a lot of work on that whole demand side of the circular economy. So if you can tell us a little bit about what you've learned in your studies of of what is the demand side of, of what do people want or are interested in products, I think that's the work you've been really focusing on. Yeah, I I really think of myself as a strategist. Um, And, you know, I really have to just let your listeners know, I am not a sustainability expert. Um, You know, I, I really have not got that background. um, And I now work with some tremendous colleagues um, at One Earth, uh, which is a nonprofit that works globally to mainstream sustainable lifestyles, and at the Share Reuse Repair Initiative, which is a um, an organization in Vancouver um, that's doing tremendous work to uh, create opportunities for repair um, in, in British Columbia in the circular economy. So I really rely on them, you know, for the details around sustainability um, and you know, what are the biggest impact areas? Like, how do we make sure what we're working on is actually focused on the areas that are having the biggest, you know, footprint uh, on, you know, the the biggest impact and food is a a big area. You know, I definitely, I know the basics. I know food is a huge area. The things we buy is a, you know, is also a big, big area because of the carbon that's embodied in the manufacturing process to make those goods that we consume. And I think that's maybe something that people don't necessarily always think about. Like they know waste, they know they're creating waste in what they consume because they can see it, but we don't always think about, you know, what, what's the impact of the products we're buying before we see them in the manufacturing process. So I just, I want to just be honest about, you know, I'm, I'm not the sustainability expert. And so what I really think about for myself, like what is my job in the circular economy as a strategist, I think first and foremost, my job is to make the circular economy accessible and actionable for everyone. 
And I think being in it now, sometimes I think that everybody knows, but I still think there are many people who have never even heard the term. The term, um, And even people that are in business. Yesterday, I was on a call. It was a coaching call with um, someone that uh, works in communications coaching. She's got a Harvard degree. So, so well connected, so brilliant. And a woman that has been working in executive search for 35 years, and she hires CEOs. And neither of them are familiar with the circular economy. So my job as a strategist, I think, you know, I really have to keep focused on this. I have to be the one to speak about it in a way that is clear and understandable and in plain language. Um, And so that people see the benefits of it and don't get turned off by jargon or complex terms. And I feel like that's something I really feel equipped to do um, because I don't know all all the technical details, but I do understand the framework and the concept and the benefits. So that's number one. And that's something I do often. It's like sessions with teams to help understand like, what is the circular economy? Why is it a climate solution? And why is it an innovation opportunity? So that's, that's, um, you know, sessions, lunch and learns, you know, COVID friendly, you know, uh, sessions where people can just literally learn from, from the basics. Um, but the, the second part, kind of the level two of my work is, um, is on the demand side, as you mentioned. Um, and I really help companies understand the evolving needs of people and how the circular economy can provide benefits that are not just as good as the status quo, but better. And so um, that's really, you know, the big question, because there are so many benefits. I mean, I've, I've already talked about some of them, but there's so many benefits of the circular economy. The question is, I think, for brands and innovators, is how do we tell people about the circular economy and the benefits for them? And the answer is really, it depends on who your target, target market is. And what motivates them? So that's really what I've been I've been focused on gaining understanding of and doing research into. So a company would approach you, we've got this product, this is our market. You'd be able to tell them what, how those people are thinking, what would work for them, what they're looking for, and, and help them develop a strategy of how to, to, to circularize it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I knew going into this, Um, you know, I really, um, you know, I really understood that we'd have to get smart with strategy with communicating the circular economy. You know, I really knew that there would be different ways in for different, uh, different types of people or different target markets. But now I know based on the, the research that I've been working on, there is about seven different ways seven different strategies that you could take yeah. depending on who your, who your target market is and what their motivations are. Um, so if it's okay, I could tell you a little bit, a little bit more detail about that, that study that, uh, that I'm, I'm feeling so confident in. Yeah. So 
this please go ahead yeah so um this this is a project that i've been working on for about the past 10 months um and i'm one of the leads um on the study and it was it's based on research originally done by citra which is the finnish innovation fund which has really been pivotal pivotal sorry in driving the mainstreaming of sustainable living in finland but also the concept of the circular economy worldwide. Um, they put on, you might have heard of uh, the World Circular Economy Forum, and they put on that conference um, every year. It was supposed to be in Toronto in 2020 um, and went virtual, and it's scheduled again, hopefully, to be in Toronto. Um, and, and it's exciting that Canada is hosting uh, the World Circular Economy Forum by by Citra because it really is kind of one of the biggest conferences on the circular economy globally. So the Finns are a small country, but they're really doing a lot in the the circular economy space. So this study they originally did, um, and and we're building on that study. And um, basically, you know, the the idea is that more people are taking sustainable actions. And, and choosing circular business models, like sharing, reusing, repairing, buying refurbished, like the Nikes I mentioned, um, you know, more people are doing that than just the green niche. Um, but, but their primary motivations are not because of climate change or to be sustainable. Um, you know, so this work is based on um, some qualitative interviews and a survey of 1500 British Columbians. And, you know, from that, we really know that there's these diverse motivations that, uh, you know, that, that are, are much better in terms of a way to talk to and engage uh, if you're meeting someone's motivation. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about kind of the, the various ones, but just um, wanting to share that the, the studies being done by One Earth, as well as Van City Credit Union and Citra. Um, and, you know, the real goal is to shed light on the mix of motivations, in, including but also beyond the eco niche, and helping all of us un, under, expand our target audiences. Um, because we know there's some people that really don't want to talk about climate change. They don't want to talk about the environment. There's others, growing others that really do and are motivated by it, but we want to um, expand our target audiences, diversify messaging and innovations to drive the circular economy. Um, and uh, so our end game is, uh, is, as One Earth puts it, to help British Columbians live lighter. So they're not saying circular economy, they're making it, framing it more as a benefit for people. Let's live lighter um, in your own way. And uh, we, we've done that by really understanding every decision people make. So the study is not doesn't go in and ask people, do you do this action to be sustainable? It really goes in and asks people, what, do you, what choices are you making in your daily life? And what are the reasons why you do it? And so it really removes the bias of, guiding people towards saying like, we care about sustainability and we're trying to understand if you do. Um, so it, that's a really important um, aspect of the methodology. But um, Nick, do you want to guess? Do you want to guess what any of the seven motivations are? Uh, well, I could, I could guess it 
price must be somewhere in there. Uh, having things that are less expensive. Uh, ooh, let's see. That's one. Uh, what else could it be? Uh, I could see convenience maybe, and having things that are more that won't break down or more durable, right? Because that's always the biggest complaint of people, right? Things you buy now are cheap and they break down all the time, uh, or they're obsolete. You know, the you can't upgrade them, and then you have to go buy something else. I could see that being some of the complaints off the top of my head. Yeah, you're close. You're close. There's you've definitely got you're hitting on some of the themes for sure. Um, one of the the you know the most prominent motivations is actually to uh, reduce the things that someone owns or uses. So it's kind of a mentality of essentialism or minimalism. Well, it's kind of like that Marie Kondo idea, like you don't need it, get rid of it, right? Yes, absolutely. And what's interesting is that that is a dominant motivation. It's about 22%. Of the British Columbia population, oh, wow. so um, yeah. you know it. This idea of like you know being aware of um, you know how much you use and wanting to minimize what you own, and then also wanting to reduce waste. There's various ways in that people, quite distinct ways in, and different types of people that had this motivation. So it wasn't all like you know older people or younger people. It was like. There was some, you know, younger, younger, a younger woman that told me, you know, I live in a one, like a studio apartment in Chinatown. I really minimize what I own. Um, and my, my, what I care about is sports. And I grew up in a family that really valued sports and doing sports together. And it wasn't about things, you know, we didn't give gifts to each other. We didn't accumulate things because we love sports. And so that was her value. And she was not at all, uh, you know, she didn't talk very much at all about the environment and being motivated by climate change. She actually found that um, the whole idea of climate action was too political for her. And she really, like, just didn't want to mm. be involved. Um, and then I spoke to another gentleman who it was all about spiritual beliefs. And he, you know, he said, my... I, my spiritual spiritual beliefs lead me to you know own little and be grateful for everything. Um, and then other people that we talked to, it was mm. very connected to like a family of like a cultural background being Scottish and like a um, kind of a resourcefulness, like a frugalness of wanting to like make things last. And and to your point, like not having to buy was like a part of it as well, like saving money. But it was more centered around this kind of driving motivation of like really wanting to like minimize what they used and what they owned and and not waste. And I think there's this real reaction in those in yeah. some of those people right now in the awareness of how much we're wasting, like as we're getting news reports and, you know, data and it's becoming obvious how much of a waste prop problem we have those people are becoming even more committed to make choices um, that really align with, you know, that motivation. So that's just one example of how you could talk about, yeah. you know, reach people to talk about here's some circular economy um, innovations or communicate with them about the circular economy, but you, you wouldn't talk about sustainability necessarily. You would talk more about those end benefits for them and yeah. connecting to their motivation.
at fixing things. Like that's the other yeah. thing, you know. Well, here, like that's the biggest business rule one hundred and one. You're going to sell something to someone. You've you've got to be in their, you know, what they want, right? What works for them, and then tailor that conversation to them. And and you're right, sustainability for some people can there's 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 still a bit of a funny conversation out there about that, right? And and whereas if it speaks to you, uh, then you have a whole business model that's actually good for the environment in a way that they want. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you like to hear one another motivation? Sure. Yeah. So one of the the next most prevalent motivations uh, was really oriented towards progressive culture, and so it's it's really wanting to uh, be part of and contribute to progressive trends. And certainly those trends were described as wanting to be part of being more eco-friendly, but it was also wanting to be part of a culture that was also about um, racial equity and also about supporting my local community. So buying local. And so this motivation, um, you know, it's very much about aligning themselves with this progressive culture and they're really fueled by both learning from other people, but also sharing so that other people can learn from them. So it's like this feedback loop that is so motivating mm. that is, you know, it's not really fact-based. It's not, it's not like they're doing like tons of research to look at the carbon footprint or, you know, the, the, the number of liters of water they can save by using a, a second life shirt. It's, it's more of this feeling of um, being part of the solution and part of a, fitting in with a culture that is also moving in that direction. Um, so that is uh, about 20% uh, of the BC population. And, um, and that makes sense. I mean, I, I think everyone is seeing how there's a growing culture that's starting to become more the norm um you know mm. and and some of the um yeah, right. some of the respondents you know people that we talked to in our study they they said you know uh one one young guy was from sweden and he said i started buying secondhand when i came to vancouver because it's just the style here and there's so many good secondhand clothes store they're everywhere and they're cool and it's just the thing to do. But in Sweden, it just wasn't available and it wasn't part of the culture. And so it, his behavior changed when he became part of this new culture. Um, and so uh, that's just, mm, again, that's like, really interesting. it's, it's just kind of breaking the myth that you might think that those people, like all they want to hear about is the environmental benefits, but actually it's bigger than that. If they want to uh, they want to be part of that culture, which, and they see the intersectionality between, um, you know, the the uh, social uh, equity, for example. You know, they don't want to buy. Maybe a company is environmentally friendly, but are they treating their workers unfairly, or are they harming people? You know, who who live in under other countries that are producing those goods. Um, or the local aspect of it, you know, they want to support their local, um, you know, the local businesses. And so they see the interrelationship with their, their choices and 
and those business operating in their community. And so um, that motivation, you know, really, it's not just purely about the environment. Um, they're going to have questions for your brand or your business that go beyond just the eco-friendly part of it. So, yeah, it's a very wide aspect to look at. Like, even like you said, sustainability goes beyond climate. There's the whole justice piece, uh, the local piece. And and I can see how uh, a circular economy lends itself to really those local resources and reusing them. Now, the study is, is it, it has it been published and released? Is that available for most people to to look at? It will be. And that's the amazing thing about One Earth and Van City and, and Citra is that in, consistent with the values of the circular economy, they're collaborating with people and wanting to share this. So the report will be open source and free and it will be available in the middle of the year. And the idea is to inspire other regions, other companies to think about replicating the study for their own understanding. Um, and Citra actually has, I believe, six other countries now that are conducting similar studies to this. Um, and we've already been approached by um, other regions and other companies that are interested in replicating it as well. And that's part of the goal of publishing the study is so that people can read it and hopefully also be inspired to, to see what it means for their you know, for their company or for their brand or for their the region, um, so it's uh, it, it's going to be an incredible asset, and um, I'm really excited for it to come out. Yeah, like I, I really hear it as a great tool for business, just to get an idea. Okay, how can we complement this with our market? What are they looking for, and how can our circular economy strategy meet that? You know, or how can we get more customers because that's what they're looking for, and nobody else is providing that for them. Absolutely. Yes. You're voicing over the strategy part of it. You know, how are we meeting the needs of our current customers? You know, if we know this is their motivation, maybe we could do even better for them. How could we innovate? How we could, how could we create new products and services for our existing customer base? But also who are we missing? If these are seven different motivations um, that are driving decisions in British Columbia. And there was also seven in, in Finland uh, with a similar distribution. So I'm starting to feel very confident that no matter where we replicate this, seven is the magic number um, in terms of diversity of motivations. Um, but also, you know, who are we missing? Who else could we target it with our with our current company or our brand? Who else could we, you know, mm. wh where's the opportunity for us that we we're potentially blind to or you know had a gap in our understanding about. So I feel like there's one really important thing about the study that I want to make sure is clear is that this is called a motivations-based segmentation. Um, and there's two types of segmentations. One is based on people. So you're basically segmenting similar groups of people by demographics um, or identity factors that are fixed. This is a motivation-based segmentation, which means that we're, we're not identifying groups of people. So the two groups of people that I, I told you about, the ones that are essentialists or minimalists, and then the people that are really motivated by culture and, and progressive trends, those are motivations, dominant motivations. And we all have mixed motivations that are expressed differently in different contexts. 
so it's not like if you're motivated to, you know, be a, a minimalist that you're, that's how you are in every choice in your life. You might, you might be influenced in different contexts to, to choose differently. So, you know, that it's just a really important thing to underscore because we don't want it to be like, you're always that. And that's, you know, there's, there's real opportunity to see that, um, we all are human and we're, we don't want to stereotype people into these groups. Um, they can have, they can have various motivations. So, you know, I always use the the example, you know, I'm kind of an eco warrior when it comes to food and, you know, I, my, the environment and the system of growing food or the system of buying food and all the problems with the industrial food complex really motivate how I buy food. But in other parts of my life, I, you know, sometimes I'm driven much more by convenience. And, um, you know, that's because I have kids and I'm trying to get them to hockey practice. And so I drive a truck. So it's not like you're one thing and you're only that thing. And I think that's the beauty of this motivation um, framework is that we can um, have some empathy and not stereotype people as good or bad in their behavior. So thank you for that. And then what are you looking to do next or what, who are you looking to work or connect with? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I, I'm definitely looking for clients, like-minded clients um, who, you know, first and foremost want to learn about this. You know, as I mentioned, I really think there's still many people, I would say 40, 40 to 50% of businesses where people are not aware of the circular economy and the opportunity that it provides. And so I think I'm really looking for any client that wants to, or company that wants to help their team understand it and be excited by it and feel hope from it. Um, and so I run circular economy inspiration sessions where I talk very simply um, about what it is, what the climate, you know, why it's a climate solution, but why also it's an innovation solution. And I give many examples of different businesses and brands so that uh, people come away feeling really pumped about it. Um, and so after that, I think the, you know, the other opportunity is um, anyone that's interested in the motivation, the lighter living motivation profile study that I described. Um, anyone that wants to get in touch, there is opportunities to, um, you know, to, to replicate the work, to come on board as a partner, um, to have a customized workshop done where we help uh, apply and activate the profiles for your business. So anyone who's interested, um, I know myself and the team at One Earth and share reuse repair initiative would be delighted to to talk to anyone um, who wants to put the profiles to use. Well, I acknowledge you for the great work you're doing to actually like transform our economy as we know it, because it definitely takes a lot. And it sounds like you've got the partnerships and the know-how and you're, you've been busy doing it. So really acknowledge you for that. And thank you for being my guest. It's been my pleasure, Nick. Thanks so much for your great questions and your interest and your curiosity about this. Um, I think we all need to have some imagination in the face of, you know, some of the big challenges that we're having right now with climate and our society and inequity and imagining with you is really fun. 
So thank you. Thank you. Well, enjoy the rest of your sunny day, and I look forward to seeing you next at the showcase on the 12th of May. I'll be there. Thanks, Nick. To hear more about our podcasts, showcase events, or on the FutureProof Network, please visit us at www.futureproof-network.com.